Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. This is Bob Rathman bidding you welcome, wishing you well, wherever you may be. And coming up on our podcast this week, we dedicated to the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX, and we could not have a better guest to talk about it. The Commissioner of the Big East, Val Ackerman, will join me in just a moment. But we begin with our Jersey Mike's News and Notes of the Week, and now the NBA draft is behind us, and many of our Naismith winners and finalists were drafted on Thursday night in New York. So let's go down the list and congratulate these young men as they advance in their professional careers. Walker Kessler of Auburn, our Naismith Men's Defensive Player of the Year, was the 22nd pick in the draft by Memphis. He was traded to Minnesota. And one note on Walker, he averaged last year 4.6 blocks per game for the Tigers. That's the most blocks per game by an NBA prospect since Anthony Davis averaged 4.7 blocks a game with Kentucky back in the 2011-12 season. Our finalists were all drafted. Ochi Abaji of Kansas went number 14 to Cleveland. Johnny Davis of Wisconsin, number 10 to the Washington Wizards. Keegan Murray of Iowa, number 4 to Sacramento. And Jabari Smith of Auburn, number 3 to the Houston Rockets. Our 2021 Jersey Mike's Naismith Boys High School Player of the Year was Chet Holmgren. And, of course, he played last year at Gonzaga. He was the number 2 overall pick in the draft to Oklahoma City. So congratulations to those young men as they pursue their professional careers. Also congratulations go out to our 2013 Jersey Mike's Naismith Boys Player of the Year, Andrew Wiggins. He is now a world champion, a part of that Golden State Warrior team that defeated the Boston Celtics to win this year's NBA championship. And we're hoping to get Andrew on the podcast later this summer. When we come back, my conversation with Val Ackerman. But first, this from Jersey Mike's. If Jersey Mike's turkey had a resume, it would say it's 99% fat-free and raised without antibiotics. But our turkey already has its dream job at Jersey Mike's because premium meat makes a sub above. You would be hard-pressed to find a more powerful and influential voice in the world of college athletics than Val Ackerman. She's currently the commissioner of the Big East Conference. She's held that post since 2013. She was the founding president of the WNBA when that launched and is a past president of USA Basketball, which, as you know, oversees our country's men's and women's Olympic basketball program. Val attended the University of Virginia as one of the school's first female student-athlete scholarship recipients. She was a four-year starter, three-time captain, two-time academic All-America for the Cavaliers, and the first 1,000-point scorer in the program's history, and was our 2006 Naismith Outstanding Contributor to Women's Basketball. We touch on all of these things, but the big reason we wanted to have Val on with us this week to get her thoughts and feelings and opinions on this 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX. Here's my conversation with Val Ackerman. We are tickled to have with us the Big East Commissioner and our 2006 Naismith Outstanding Contributor to Women's Basketball with us. Val Ackerman joins us. Val, how are you? Hey, Bob, I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Well, this is just wonderful that uh, you had a few minutes to take time to join us on the podcast this week because it is such a momentous week, and I know that you've been right in the middle of all these festivities. 
Uh, the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX, of course, was on Thursday of this past week. And just tell us a little bit about your week and the whirlwind around it and how exciting it's been for you. Well, the good, the, thanks, Bob. The good, the good news is there has been, it seems, lots of interest in the anniversary. Um, yes, it, you know, there's been, uh, I, I think, a lot of activity this week, but it was really building from where I sit. I mean, we, you know, college sports have been talking for months about the anniversary. A number of the conferences, including ours, have been doing promotions uh, around the law and, and lots of folks, myself included, have had opportunities to tell our stories about, you know, what it was like, uh, in the early years of Title IX, the growth that we've seen since 1972, and then, you know, reflections on, on what, you know, where we go from here. So the attention has been really great. And, um, I, frankly, my, my only hope is that once the anniversary passes and we're a day past it, that this interest and this attention continues um, because, you know, uh, the, you know, this is, this law made so much possible for so many. And we want to make sure that the girls and, and the women, young women of tomorrow um, have the same sorts of opportunities that were available to, to people like myself. So that, if that requires some advo more advocacy and vigilance, et cetera, um, you know, we've got to all come together to make sure that happens. Was instrumental in paving the way in the basketball world, at least, to to what we enjoy today. You know, the uh, certainly the creation of the WNBA uh, 25 years ago is hand in hand with with this amazing renaissance in, of women's sports across the country. And I think Val, one of the things, look, I don't want you to speak to the WNBA course in just a moment, but one of the things that, that gets me is, you know, the young girls today think of the WNBA just like it's always been there, right? I mean, they don't know different. Uh, you and I do, but they don't. And I think that's fantastic that this this WNBA has come onto the scene and now is regarded, you know, as one of the top basketball leagues in the world. And I know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that for you. Yeah, no, no question. Um, and it's interesting, uh, Bob, when we launched um, – we kind of we knew it was going to be a marathon. That makes sense. That it might take a generation for for the league to sort of take hold, and for there to be this kind of hey, it's always been here acceptance from young kids, especially um, they they don't know, and that's okay. I mean that's progress. They but you know they don't know that there was a time when a league like that was pretty much unimaginable, um, and that a league like the NBA. Um, would take it upon itself to to do the work, make the investment, have the patience to get through some lean years in order for a league like, you know, the WNBA to kind of, you know, punch through. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, yeah, for someone like me to look back and, and what, you know, we were thinking about 26, 27 years ago, and now to think about where other sports might go, whether it's soccer now with the NWSL, um, you know, women's volleyball is a sport that's on the move. Women's lacrosse, softball, it's been around, but may have some, you know, some interesting um, sort of chapters to be written there. Women's ice hockey, another team sport that, you know, everyone should keep an eye on. Uh, that, that's what's exciting to me to think about, you know, now that basketball has, has really paved the way, what might be possible for, for other women's sports. You penned a great article, first person, 
in Sports Illustrated for their Title IX issue that came out last month. And I want to, of course, encourage all of our listeners to go and get that and read that because it was so well written. And there was a picture in there of you playing for the University of Virginia against Old Dominion. And it caught my eye because, as we talked about before we started recording, I broadcast that game. I was doing Old Dominion Lady Monarch basketball on the radio uh, back then when they had that juggernaut team. Uh, I just want you to go back and and talk a little bit about that UVA experience of what it was like back then that you referenced so much in the article. It, it, It was great in many ways looking back, Bob. I mean, it made me the person I am. I went to college for the listeners here on a started out as a partial scholarship for basketball became a full scholarship my second year at a school that had gone co-ed only eight seven years before I got there so UVA uh, the College of Arts and Sciences was all male until 1970 so the first class of women came out of UVA in 74 and so I went trooping down there from New Jersey in 1977 so it wasn't long after co-education that, uh, that the women's sports teams got going. Um, but, you know, the, the point I'm making is that we were on the ground floor. And, and I was part of that. And so it was not the same as the men. The men's team at that time, you may remember, was led by the, the great Jeff Lamp and Lee Raker, good friends of mine, uh, Jeff Jones, later Ralph Sampson came on the scene. Um, but the women's team, we were really the pioneers. And so that did mean we had some bumps, you know, to get it going. And, and, and the game you broadcast out was one of our bumps. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> in, general, in a general, vague, painful way, playing Old Dominion, who was a, a powerhouse at that time, led by, um, you know, all-American players. And I, I think that game probably didn't, didn't go well, would be a guess. But, you know, that's the way things sometimes get started. And uh, the good news is we got better every year. My fourth year at Virginia, we were, I think, 22 and 10. It gotten ranked at one point, made it to the postseason. And so we could all look back with satisfaction on the, you know, the, the improvement over four years. And now Virginia women's basketball has uh, pretty much everything the men have. So uh, progress for sure. But uh, yeah, you have to start somewhere, and I think that, that game for me was, was basically Exhibit A. <laughs> well, you know, i I got to give kudos to the athletic director at Old Dominion at the time, a fellow named Jim Jarrett, uh, whom you may remember. But that was at a time when the uh, NCAA was taking over the uh, championships for the women's sports. The AIW was starting to fade out, although they ran concurrently, as you mentioned in your article, for a couple of years. But the first NCAA tournament, uh, Final Four, was played in Norfolk, uh, played at, at Scope. And, uh, and Jim was one of those guys who, who embraced uh, women's athletics and, and was a mover, really, and a shaker in those early NCAA days. Mm-hmm. No question. And, you know, you're right about the kind of the chronology here. I think I, think I played, Bob, the very last year of the AIW which was the predecessor governing body for women's sports, college sports in this country. Um, I believe the last season of AIAW play was 80-81, and that was my my fourth year at UVA. And then the next year, the NCAA took things over. Um, It was a bit controversial at the time in ways I didn't really understand and and don't entirely understand now, but 
But that very next year uh, was the start of NCAA-sponsored women's sports competitions. And so there was a lot going on there. The women who were part of the AIW were pioneers in their way, the early wave of women administrators in college sports. So I know some of them, and we, you know, we all owe them so much because they were fighting the fight at a time when, when the landscape was very different. Yeah, uh, the name Donna Lopiano certainly comes to mind mm-hmm. uh, as someone that we worked with uh, very closely uh, in getting all this off the ground. Um, I want to ask you, before we leave, about Ed Cooley, and we were so honored to have you all with us in New Orleans. But, Val, what would you like to see next? You know, you talked about this, this celebration coming to an end this week, and uh, we don't want to see the enthusiasm dim uh what would you like to see happen next as you cast your vision on the next year three years five years for women's athletics well you know i think um it's a sort of keep going and keep growing mindset bob that you know i share with other college sports leaders um I think, you know, everyone knows about what happened at the NCAA tournament last year in women's basketball and the revelation of disparate treatment, um, which was very, very unfortunate, very painful. Um, You know, I think the silver lining of that episode was that people have just refocused their energies over the last year, especially on equity. I know that's a point of emphasis for us at the Big East. We sponsor 22 sports now, and 12 of them are women's sports. Um, and so we run the championships, we manage other, other programs, but, uh, you know, that was a wake-up call in San Antonio last year for all of us. So I think staying vigilant about um, the experience for the athletes and making sure it's as equitable as it can be. It doesn't always have to be the same, but it needs to be fair and equitable is a, you know, priority. I'm sort of interested in the commercial outcomes of women's college sports at the highest levels. I think more can be done there around television and sponsorship and marketing in a way that could create some additional revenue that can be reinvested back um, into these sports. And then the last, you know, piece that I, you know, uh, have lived and, and hope, you know, will expand will be the, the leadership notion here um you know uh i'm a you know i when when i played college sports the women in the business were basically the coaches you didn't see women ad's or women commissioners or women working at networks or uh at you know at the at the sponsorship level and now we've got a lot more of that and yet you know as the higher up you go the fewer women there are and the fewer people of color there are so this notion of uh more diverse um, sort of leadership tier in college sports, I think is critically important because that's who our athletes are. They're very, very diverse, and our leader ranks have to reflect our what we're seeing in our athlete populations. So those are, you know, some to-dos in my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned Ed Cooley. I'll just say he's great. He's, he's the best. Love Coach Did Cooley. They? And very happy, very happy to see him receive the, uh, the Naismith Coach of the Year this past year in in New Orleans. It was very, very well-deserved. Well, thank you for saying that, and we were thrilled to have you and the the entire Big East contingent uh, to to come and honor him. It was great, and we think you're great, and we so appreciate, you know, everything that you've done and everything that you will do and taking a few minutes out to join us on the podcast this week. Val, thank you so much. Great, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Val. We are honored that you joined us this week. 
And that will do it for this edition of the podcast. We will see you again here next week. Don't forget to rate and review, subscribe, tell all your friends about it. It's how we get the word out for men's and women's basketball to college fans everywhere. Thanks for joining us from Atlanta. From all of us at the Naismith Awards, Bob Rathbun saying so long.